Is accessibility something you do because you have to? Or is it possible to use our disabilities to contribute during the creative process? This time, disability arts consultant and artistic director Maria Ashodi offers a different perspective on accessibility. From touring stage show to interactive multimedia website, on this episode, we look at creativity within the visually impaired world, take a trip to Japan, and a history lesson like you've never heard before. Welcome to the Space Arts Podcast. Hello, I'm Claire Freeman, an associate at The Space. Later, I'll be joined by our chief executive, Fiona Morris. And this is a series where we look under the piano lids, inside the notepads and behind the stage doors of arts and cultural organisations already making waves in the ever-expanding digital world. The Space is an agency which supports those working in the arts sector, and you included, if you're interested. So do pop over to the website, thespace.org, to find out about those latest commissioning rounds and a ton of resources that we refer to during this podcast. Today, we look at accessibility, but beyond the typical subtitles and captioning. Maria Ashodi runs Extant, the UK's leading performing arts company supporting visually impaired artists and theatre practitioners. Their project, Flight Paths, is something that's been slowly evolving over many years. It tells the story of the Japanese Gozei travellers, visually impaired female performers, using a combination of aerial dance, beautiful music, and weaving these personal stories about migration throughout. What was initially a stage performance has now become an interactive multimedia project navigated through a series of short films. The audio description is really playful and fun. There's beautiful animation and there's binaural 360 sound techniques to help the visually impaired listener better locate and place the performers on stage in their mind. Extant was supported in this work by The Space, And in this conversation with myself and Fiona, Maria explains how. First, we're going to hear a clip from Flight Paths. Thank you for coming. My name is Take. I am here to be your guide along whichever direction you decide. When the Home Office lost my papers, they tried to blame it on me. But they didn't have a leg to stand on. It's upside down and hook on me. I had copies of everything. And I said, this is exactly what I sent you. We were interested initially in just creating something that interested us as as theatre practitioners, always looking for something exploratory and adventurous and and, and a way to sort of push the envelope around access, around circus, around um, storytelling. And as the project moved on, um, we knew that we wanted it to work for both a sighted and visually impaired audience. That's always the ethos of Extant anyway. Um, And one of the things that we really wanted to make accessible was some of the aerial work that we were creating in in the live show. And we wanted that to be not only accessible through the access that was built in and how we audio described it and the audio description coming from the performers themselves. So the performers up the silks, you know, as they're in the middle of doing all of these 
amazing for me, you know, being a kind of director who sits on the backside most of the time, you know, kind of like acrobatic feats in the air <laughs> on a piece of rope. Um, but also that you got a sense of where the performers' voices were coming from in space. Often when um, audio description is, is translated um, and amplified, it comes out of a speaker. And if you can't see the stage very well or at all, like I can't, I will just naturally look at the speaker and think that's where the performance is. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to do something to work with some, you know, some technology and see if we could get the voices of the performers coming from where their bodies were physically in space. So, so a visually impaired audience would be able to connect with that location as much as anybody who could see where those performers were. So that was a big element of what we did. And that's why we brought in the binaural, I mean, the binaural stuff was, was actually um, a very last minute thing. We, we, we borrowed work. We kind of paid very mates rate fee for the, for the Newman head that we, from the national and plonked it in the audience so we could get a recording. Cause I think that we, before, even before the space commission, we always felt that somehow that the, the, the piece could translate into, into some form of film and I wanted to preserve the notion of this um, these coordinates in space where the, 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 the performers were where the performers were and I thought the Bernard binaural recording would be the best way to do that so wow that's a long answer to your question <laughs> <laughs> no it's fascinating I mean I'm also very intrigued with audio description what is essentially quite a functional thing like how much artistic uh, license do you get to play with audio description well in our company we take all the license in the world you know because we we we've always it's always been an ethos of the company to not give that control or power um, away to um you know sighted interpreters of the work we've always wanted to hold on to that as blind performers as blind director so it's a key integral aesthetic um you know, element of, of of what we're creating. So we do that for all our projects. And with this, the, the big kind of challenge was how to integrate the description of the aerial movement by the aerialists while they were moving, and in a way that was as um, that, that sort of that was in sync with their movement. So you can have long all the description in the world. If it's really long, the, the movement's over. Then it's not really keeping in time with what the what the aerialists are doing. So we had to. That was really a fascinating and intricate um, unfolding. Working out each movement, how to describe each movement, then um, working with our technologist who, who <laughs> we pre-recorded the artists. Um, wearing these headphones whilst they were doing the movement and all the breath. Because um, one of the things we also wanted to convey was the effort involved in um, working on aerial silk, that you see it sometimes and it just seems like whiz bang, very flashy. But actually some of that internal dialogue that the aerialists go through, we included that with a description as well. Wow. <laughs> I just remember thinking now back to that those rehearsals are really something working out but yeah but you see if you've been working on this idea this this kind of exploration really for seven years what is it that you were able to get as an artist yourself you know by kind of 
going down the multimedia project that perhaps you weren't able to do when it was a touring performance on stage? Well, I think the main thing, uh, two things. One was we, we'd, um, the reason why we'd included projections in the touring show was because we'd worked for five years on developing this show with three main artists who were telling their stories, their stories of being blind, um, a blind, you know, Nigerian soprano, blind Japanese viola player, blind, you know, aerialist from the USA. When we got to, when we, when we got to the point where we were actually able to um, mount the tour, two of the performers said that they weren't, they didn't want to tour. So we then thought, how on earth do we keep, continue to tell their stories without them in the show? So we then, that's when we thought about filming them and including them in this, in this kind of, again, a quite an unusual way. And so that was what we were able to bring in to the commission that we got from the space, which was absolutely brilliant. It kind of gave a, a brilliant way for us to create a narrator and a guide and an audio describer in the form of uh, a Goze, the Goze character, who the Goze were the female visually impaired musicians and storytellers. I mean, it's really quite beautiful animation as well. And, you know, the music is so kind of powerful. We heard, a, you know, a little taster of that in the clip earlier. What were the what were the challenges for this? Because this is a really bold, ambitious project, isn't it? And, and you know, you, it's really interesting that you kind of say it wasn't something that you just did over a few months. Actually, this was something that kind of almost kind of organically grew to this kind of multimedia experience but what were the hurdles that you faced and how did you overcome them well i suppose the biggest hurdle was that uh, timing wise um we planned to start the project in march of 2020 so <laughs> <laughs> i need to say no more um but in actual fact you know uh it was fine because um, we uh, we were able to to meet remotely um, with the whole team, and um, it was very lucky for us really that we had this project at that point because um, you know we had something very substantial to work on, and um, it kind of got us through. I think in a lot in a lot of ways in those early early months of lockdown, the the biggest challenge at that at that point though was recording the voice of the Gose animated character so that was the biggest challenge everything else went really smoothly we were the fantastic team and um, we had blind consultants um, testing out the navigation to make sure that it all worked on an access level all the different instructions and things you know weren't worked on a visual level but also with um, speech software that blind people use on their computers on their and on, on their phones you know, compared with putting the live show together, this one was just like a walk in the park. <laughs> wow, I think a lot of people will be very relieved to hear that. <laughs> what can I say? I think it is all about getting the right team together, seriously. I mean, we had, you know, we hadn't worked with Dave Packman, who was the um, animator. We hadn't worked with I either, who was the um, illustrator. And she was um, somebody who came through Aya the performer, but we really wanted to work with a Southeast Asian illustrator. What can I say? We just had a brilliant team. I mean, <laughs> I mean 
You see, a lot of theatre companies or, you know, guys who are kind of putting together, be it like video podcasts, you know, I worked on a project through the space with Dante Odai, a theatre company that did a video podcast, which took a, a touring performance that was done in pop-up cafes to become a podcast that you watch called User Not Found. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted to make sure that they were reaching an accessible audience and Mm. captioning subtitles this Mm. is something that i think a lot of arts and culture organizations want to make sure that they are thinking about they're factoring in their planning what advice would you have for arts and culture organizations who want to factor that into an idea that they're working up right now um time and uh resources really in terms of you know money really just to not underestimate um the amount of time that it takes and also um the additional sort of funding support that you might need for it um for instance with this we brought in um subtitles we when we ran it past our visually impaired consultation group they said that the 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 subtitles were far too small. Um, So we had to then really um, work with enlarging those, but not to the point where they obscured, you know, what was on screen. Um, A lot of that we wouldn't have known as a team if we hadn't brought in those consultants to work with. So that's another thing really, is just to think about running it by people who one, don't know the work, and two, are, you know, they're gonna be the, the end users really for all of this. And I think it is really important. And also I think that sometimes, you know, it sometimes seems like it might be an irksome thing to do and something that is just like, oh gosh, you know, we've got just got to do it because, you know, for being worthy or something. But actual fact, you know, what, what we found often is that by bringing in thinking around making something accessible, it actually will generate artistic ideas as well that you might not have thought of before. There can be a benefit, a hidden benefit that you, you're not aware of until you can sort of go in and really explore it. So testing, time for testing these things yes. out. Yeah. And also the, the principles of accessibility. Why wouldn't you want to? You know, it's sort of any any focus on considering how something is more easily shared, you know, is, is going to benefit any project with any audience. I always sort of think, oh, gosh, why do we have to have the conversation about this as if it's for other rather than actually, no, it's just, isn't that what you want to do as a communicator, as a creative? You, you want to make your work uh, as widely accessible. And, and I loved what, what you guys have done, Maria, in terms of thinking about it, not as the translation device that sits on the side of the project, but how you can embed it so it's part of the experience. So the binaural soundscapes, you know, it's a way of saying, no, this is actually just an embellishment to to what to the whole, not a thing that sort of sits on another channel and 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 kind of by its very nature can tend to then be quite isolated for audiences kind of coming in and using that and you just feel like this is what we need to move towards is is thinking in a much more holistic way about these systems. I agree I think that there's something about um, you know the making something inclusive it really sends a statement out that this is the world that we live in, that, that this is, it's a world that, you know, what we're creating here is reflecting the way in which we see the world. 
And if you're only, you know, if your work is only kind of like working on a particular level, then it means that you're, it's saying something about who you are as an artist, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's a kind of, yeah, it becomes more of a kind of statement about the inclusivity of, um, you know, of, of, the, of the world around you and how you yeah. see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We did another piece in the Culture in Quarantine series uh, with Kathy Marga, Sign Night, uh, which, uh, in which she worked with two performers, uh, BSL signing performers. They are so beautiful <laughs> and expressive. And by projecting those images massively onto the fronts of buildings, um, you know, it's, it's just balletic. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's like, that's what, that's when you want to just sit and applaud and go, that's what we mean. Mm. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't make it exclusive, make it inclusive absolutely. because it'll make it makes for better art. Yes, no, exactly. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we're always trying yeah. You know, and sometimes we get it wrong, you know, it's not like, you know, it's just the thing about, you know, having, um, having the awareness and, and, and seeing that it's just, it's, it's another tool, really. It's another yeah. tool that you can use that's like, that actually, you know, can be really advantageous for yourself in, in your own practice, as well as, you know, reaching a wider audience as well. Absolutely. Something that I think is coming to the forefront more and more is um, artificial intelligence, like this idea of the phrase next generation storytelling um, and the fact that it's kind of looking at having a sense of play when it comes to creative expression, arts and culture, like, you know, your Amazon um, Alexa or your Google, whatever device, they don't just have to be about functional aspects, that they can have a sense of play. And I know that's something that the space is already working on behind the scenes in, in projects that are really kind of cutting edge. Um, and, and also something that I'll share a link with on the episode description, if people are interested to know more about what AI actually is and what, what is possible with it, is that something that you will kind of look to embrace, Maria, whether you already are, whether it's something you're already using and exploring? We've been, I mean, we've been playing because we, because, you know, at, a lot of our interface is has been sort of connected with a kind of AI type voice thing, you know, like through JAWS, the screen reader, you know, um, in a way, it's something that blind people are kind of kind of used to and also playing with. And we and it's interesting that for flight paths in the future, we were hoping that we would like, you know, we'd like to sort of make it accessible to a Japanese audience. Um, we were going to have the narrator who's the, anima the animation speaking Japanese, which we could do quite easily because the performer is Japanese and she could just re basically um, do all her lines in Japanese. But the actual bits of the tour that were filmed, those aren't in Japanese and those would have to be subtitled. So how would we then get those subtitled bits that were in English across to a blind Japanese audience? And we thought the only way we could do that is to have a, an AI voice performing that. So that's really complicated. We haven't we haven't got there yet, but it's that's the way that we just automatically started to think, you know. So yeah, it's already sort of in our kind of lexicon of. A, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what I find really inspiring about your story, Maria, is you have a sense of the what, but you don't worry too much about knowing the how 
straight away <laughs> like the how you'll work it out you'll exactly. find the right people exactly. will come to you people exactly. like the space will connect you to these people yeah. and yeah. I think that's really really <laughs> inspiring to kind of hear the stories you've been telling us of what is possible <laughs> and also where something can go you know something yeah. that you kind of stumble upon now and where it might grow over seven years maybe you'll still be telling the goze story but in japanese in 10 years time it's yeah. kind of quite it seems like quite an exciting prospect i mean are you able to kind of give us a an insight just to kind of wrap up of what next really well for flight paths yes i mean what we'd really love to do and we've we've, we've got a got a proposal out there and it's com- at the moment being considered is um an outdoor version of flight paths um, which would be a kind of interaction with a, a live performer um, and a live, you know, aerialist and the Japanese Goze um, character who would be on sort of screen and interacting with the aerialists. So we'd be sort of retelling the, the Goze story, but through this sort of dialogue between the two, the Goze uh, animation would also be acting as an audio describer as well. So that's... Um, that hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, uh, something to look out for either next year or at the very latest, uh, 2022. Wow. I mean, incredible. Watch this space, however they word it. Watch this outdoor space, <laughs> wearing your mask. And they say that, you know, many forms of art look to inform educate and entertain us and I think that is exactly what flight paths did when I certainly engaged in it and I'm not someone who is visually impaired but I still thoroughly enjoyed and learned so much engaging in your project so I would recommend to any listeners we put the link in the in the episode description go and have a little play Maria thank you so much for your time thank you thank you it was lovely speaking to you thank you Maria and if you want to engage with some of the skills that we've mentioned some of the articles learn about ai learn about this next generation storytelling we will share the links of things that we've talked about in our program description for this episode and you can go to thespace.org there are so many different commission rounds that are always bumbling around one that's on the run-up over spring is the culture in quarantine round which is available for funding for disabled artists jump on that as someone who saw the culture in quarantine round earlier this year it opened up some magical things so please do jump on that and there's also lots of different commissioning rounds that happen throughout spring and ongoing anyway there's also the filmed in lockdown series i'm just going to kind to give this a little plug because if you today or this week have a moment where you're sat at home you've got a spare few minutes to you know whilst you're downloading uploading having a screen break then grab a cup of tea and a biscuit and go type in filmed in lockdown where you can see a ton of different artist organization cultural work that's all been filmed throughout the pandemic it's a great resource and it's a great escape little moment for your cup of tea and biscuit Uh, in the meantime follow subscribe tell a friend tell a colleague and we'll be back with more stories on the space arts podcast very soon Mm